Welcome to Cosmic Controversy with author and veteran science journalist Bruce Dormany, host of the podcast that asks probing questions about today's aerospace and astronomy. Bruce is author of Distant Wanderers, The Search for Planets Beyond the Solar System, and the Forbes.com science contributor. Now, here's Bruce. Welcome to Cosmic Controversy. This is the first episode of what I hope will be an interesting regular podcast covering everything from aviation history to spaceflight to the search for extraterrestrial life to the mysteries of the cosmos with a heavy emphasis on astronomy and astrophysics. Today's topic falls under the rubric of astrobiology, and because of that, my first guest for this inaugural episode is Lara Maldanis. Did I pronounce that correctly, Lara? Yes, yes, it's good. Okay. Uh, she's a dynamic young uh, Brazilian astrobiologist originally from Sao Paulo. Uh, Lara is an expert on advanced methods for investigating microfossils here on Earth and how they might be identified in an extra extraterrestrial context uh, once they are re returned to Earth. In other words, if once a sample return mission brings them back from Mars, for instance, uh, or even further afield from the dwarf planet Ceres. Um, Lara completed her PhD in applied physics at the University of Sao Paulo and the Brazilian Synchrotron Light Laboratory. Today, Lara is a postdoctoral researcher in astrobiology and earth sciences at the University of Grenoble in France. Hi, Lara. So uh, it's early, early in the morning, right? Nine o'clock? Yes. Yes. Nine o'clock in France <laughs> okay. right now. I hope, hope you've had your espresso uh, or, or whatnot. Um, so well, French coffee, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, uh, you and colleagues, I, I recently did an article uh, on my Forbes blog uh, detailing the, the discovery that you made or a characterization that you and colleagues made of a two-billion-year-old earth rock, uh, two-billion-year-old uh, microfossils inside this earth, earth rock, to be precise. Um, could you... Uh, just tell us a bit about why you chose x-rays uh, to, uh, to look for microfossils. And first of all, uh, what is a microfossil? Because the general public hears that term batted about. They know what a fossil is, but what is a microfossil? And uh, what are the telltale signs of a microfossil? Okay. So it's... It's true that when we are talking about fossils, people usually think about dinosaurs and bones and bigger things. Mm -hmm. But we can actually find also some uh, microorganisms preserved uh, in the fossil record. And uh, it's true that we took some time to discover that microorganisms could be fossilized. And the first time we scientists discovered that was in 1965, exactly in the formation that we have studied in this, in this paper, which is the Gunf information in Canada. So, so microorganisms can be preserved, and this is very, very interesting because for more than two billion years of Earth, Earth history, we only had microorganisms living on Earth. 
So fossil microorganisms, which are microfossils, are for us a window into the early Earth. So we can understand more about how life emerged on Earth, how it evolved, and also learn a bit of how was the conditions, the environment during the first billions of years of Earth's history. And so the, uh, it, it really is true. It, it wasn't until 1965 that, uh, that researchers had a verifiable way of identifying microfossils here on Earth. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we knew from the, the Darwin evolution theory that we should have had uh, bacteria or something like bacteria in the, in the beginning of the history of life. But uh, a lot the scientific community was very skeptic that we could really find this until 1965. But uh, the reason that we we were we found them and we were so sure that uh, we could find fossil bacteria is because of the exceptional preservation of those fossils in the Gulf Formation. So nobody had any doubt that that was fossil bacteria or cyanobacteria. So. It's a really iconic formation for the history of life on Earth. And uh, you were actually saying the gunflint formation. Uh, uh, people may not have understood that. Could you tell us a bit about the gunflint formation, where it is, and how it came to be kind of a, a focus of uh, paleobiology? So the, the Gunflint Formation is a geological unit, which is uh, in the Lake Superior in Ontario, in Canada. And uh, it's known for having uh, uh, rocks with a high content of iron. So some rocks uh, in the space are red, so we can see that there is a lot of iron. But we can find really exceptional, well-preserved uh, microorganisms and also some other regions where they are not so well preserved. So it's interesting because we can see a bit of the diversity of life, and we are talking about a life which was 1.9 billion years old, a, a period that Earth had already been oxygenated. So we, we are talking about the early organisms, microorganisms that were already using oxygen. So we have a lot of cyanobacteria, and uh, we have uh, structures formed by the cyanobacteria, which we call stromatolites, and a large, large diversity of microorganisms. So it's an important formation, not only to understand the early life, but also because every time that we find some structure which is even older than 2 billion years, we compare to these ones because they are really a reference for us in how life, early life should look like preserved in the rocks. Okay. And... Uh... In terms of we we you know we know from uh, carbon dating and the history of and by observations of our own uh, star the sun that the solar system uh, is something on the order of 4.56 billion years old and the and Earth itself uh, formed uh, within the first 100 million years uh, of the solar system's history. Uh, and um, the great oxid oxidation event, which uh, uh, caused there to be an, a, a huge uptick in oxygen in our atmosphere, happened, uh, if I'm not mistaken, what, two billion years into the life of our Earth? 
two billion years after the formation of Earth, something like that. Is that yep. correct? Yeah, about that. Okay, so that means uh, that if our Earth is something under water of 4.5 billion years old, uh, the microfossils that the ox the great oxidation event took place two billion years after that, and then these uh, fossils that you're looking at uh, probably formed two billion years after the great oxidation event. So Earth probably, are you saying that Earth probably already had an oxidated atmosphere when these fossils formed, when these mi microbes formed? Yeah, so the, the great oxidation event was about uh, 2.4 billion years ago. So yeah, about 2 billion years after the formation of Earth. And these fossils are about uh, 1.9, so they are about 500 uh, million after the, the, what we call the Great Oxidation Event, which is when we really changed the, the atmosphere for our oxidizing atmosphere. So we knew already, we know that uh, it, it's a moment that we had a lot of cyanobacteria, we had a lot of organisms producing oxygen, and in this formation we can find a lot of these microfossils. Okay. And the cyanobacteria, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you mean by a cyanobacteria? Uh, so cyanobacteria, it's a, it's a kind of microbe. We call it a cyano because it has this blue look, but it's actually blue-green, which is a group of bacteria that, uh, that makes photosynthesis. So this, this blue or green pigment is is used exactly to, like the plants, for example, to absorb the light and make photosynthesis. So they are a type of bacteria, but a bit different in this aspect. So we believe that they were, they were very important in this context because by producing oxygen, they basically did the first uh, pollution of Earth. We can, we can say that because before that, uh, before the influence of life, we had a very different uh, atmosphere. And when this is microorganism starts to colonize uh, uh, extensively the planet, they start to pollute it with oxygen, which was a very, very important uh, aspect for the evolution of life on Earth. And you uh, used X-rays, high-energy X-rays, to look for the telltale signs of microfossils. So how... Were you able, and you and your colleagues were able, how were you able to actually determine, you know, this actually is a microfossil as opposed to simply an artifact? I mean, how are you able to differentiate between the two? Yeah, this is the biggest question when we are talking about microfossils, especially the, the most ancient ones. So it's really hard, depending on the quality of the preservation, of course, but it's usually really hard to say that uh, what you see is a microorganism, not just an artifact. And the reason is because prokaryotes or bacteria, they are really simple and uh, they are really small. So we are talking about uh, microorganisms that have uh, up to five micrometers in size. So this is... Uh, about I think uh, 25 less than than, than the a, a human cell, for example, 10 times less than a human cell. So it's really really small. 
So it's, it's more so even within our cells, we can have a lot of bacteria inside. We actually know that uh, we have more bacteria cells in our bodies than uh, cells of ourselves, which is quite interesting. So they're really small. They are really simple. So sometimes they're only like a sphere or a filament. And these type of things can be really formed uh, naturally. So the golden question in, in micropaleontology is exactly how we determine this structure is uh, by, formed by biology and not uh, naturally. And uh, that's why, why we decided to look for these fossils of gunfish because they are the reference when we are talking about how early life should look like, how a fossil should look like. And uh, the focus of our project was actually explore the x-rays in a new technique and to, to prove that we could really see novel aspects of microfossils, we, take, we took these fossils from the gun formation. So when we, we are exploring a new approach, a new technique, this is a place that is really fundamental for, the, for understanding really the potentials of the approach that you, that you are testing. That's why we took the gun formation. The gun flint, the gun flint formation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, how uh, could you describe like some of the the telltale signs? Uh, for instance, you had a nice video that went along with your paper and some nice uh, images uh, from your work. And you know, as a layperson, it, it looks kind of like what I would think a, a bacterial microfossil uh, would look like. But how were you able to say, hey, yeah, this is definitely a microfossil and not an artifact? Can you, yeah, yeah. Can you uh, give Thank us a little you. bit more detail on that? Yeah. So do, due to this, this, this difficulty on answering this question, the scientists start to create a list of uh, criteria that uh, needed to be fulfilled for us to call a structure microfossil. So there are several aspects which is very important because every time we are describing an ancient structure, we need to try to fulfill all these criteria that we call biogenicity criteria. Biogenicity means that something has a biological origin. So we have, uh, for example, we need to see if the geological context uh, is plausible for life to be present. For example, if we have a rock that has suffered a lot of metamorphism, it would have destroyed everything. So what we see could not be a fossil. Uh, we need to know that this, what we see has formed a, at the same time as the rock, because this is important because we know the bacteria can just come after and colonize after your rock. So what you're looking is not actually uh, no the fossil, but uh, just a recent bacteria that colonized mm -hmm. the rock. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to have a morpho morphology which is consistent with the morphology of life. And not only the morphology, we need to have a chemical composition which is also consistent at the same time. So we, we cannot only focus on morphology because we know that morphology can be created alone. So we need to have morphology together with a chemical composition consistent for life. And about chemical composition, it can be some uh, elements related to, to life metabolism, some metals, for example, that the life uses. But we usually focus a lot in organics. So since, we, since the cell was formed by organics, we, it's very important to find the traces of organics. So 
we call it kerogen, which is when the, the organic material has already been degraded and cooked uh, for years, billions of years. Mm -hmm. But you still have uh, that uh, basic uh, uh, carbonation structure, which was uh, once uh, organic material. You, you, you mean uh, carbon-based uh, uh, material? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, carbon-based material, exactly. It's a bit like uh, oil, you know, when we talk about uh, <laughs> okay. petroleum and stuff. It's, a, it's kind of the same process that uh, generates uh, uh, oil. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that's what we need to, to look for, but it's, of course, not easy. And that's why most of uh, the early records of life that we have reported are very, very controversial. And so, so what? What? The, let, uh, uh, let's uh, take take, uh, take a look at that. So, um, we know that the gunflint uh, formation easily has microfossils which date uh, to two billion years ago. Okay, uh, but what? Uh, yeah. And we also know that Northwest Australia, there's a region called Pilbara. Uh, I may not be pronouncing that correctly, but uh, where it's not too far from the Indian Ocean, if I'm not incorrect, but uh, they found microfossils there. They think they have, which date back three point uh, what eight billion years ago, and then also 3 .5. on three point five. And then Greenland, uh, part of Greenland, has some very ancient microfossils. Uh, between Greenland and and Australia, how how which which are the older and which are the which which of those two have been verified as microfossils? So, yeah, Greenland has the oldest rocks on Earth. So we have only three places in our planet where we can find the, the oldest, and by oldest I mean more than three billion years old rocks, which is Australia, Greenland, and also South Africa. But uh, the rocks from Greenland, they have been much more altered so they have like uh, higher temperatures. So we there were more, there was more metamorphism. So the structures there are much uh, less well preserved. So every time we are talking about Greenland, it's harder to say anything because uh, the structures there have been really deformed. Uh, there was a work that uh, reported life in those rocks from Greenland uh, some years ago, but uh, two years after, a new work has refuted this. So they reevaluated and said, oh, these are actually just uh, metamorphic uh, formed uh, features. They are not really life. Uh -huh. And uh, about uh, Australia, it's really interesting because the, the, there was this first report of uh, life, uh, which uh, was 3.46 billion years old from the apex chart in Australia. Yeah, the name is Apex Chert, which is the name of the location, but it's also in the Pilbara region. Okay, Apex Chert, C C H E R C H E R T, correct? Yeah, Chert, okay. Chert is a type of rock uh, which is composed by quartz, which is like the same material of glass, for example. So it's a it's and a quartz like a quartzite. A, a Chert is a quartzite, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And uh, this is the best type of rock to look for microfossils because it has uh, really, really small crystals which helps to preserve the, the microfossils in 3D. 
So that's the the most the, the best uh, well preserved uh, microfossils are in church. So quartz. Okay, gotcha. So, so we had this, this description of life in 1996 from Apex Church, and uh, it's an interesting story because uh, until today there there is still controversy. So we had like uh, work after work, one defending and one another saying that it was not actually life for decades, and uh, we, there is still a bit of controversy. So some groups believe it's really life, and some other groups defend it's not. So this is a good uh, illustration of, of how difficult it is to answer this question. Even having all the, the technology we, we have so far, there, it's still difficult to put a, a final decision in what we are looking is really ancient life or not. Okay, so this, uh, this brings us to, you know, kind of the crux of this whole conversation. Uh, because most people, you know, astrobiology in loose terms, is the search for the origin of life, both here on Earth and elsewhere. Of course, most people are interested in life off-world, you know, whether or not there's microbial life on Mars, on an, in an asteroid, in a meteorite, yada, yada, yada. And in, uh, if my memory serves me, 1996, the same year that this apex chert uh, quartzite was found in the Pilbara region of northwest Australia, as you just pointed out, uh, our president, uh, Bill Clinton, our former president, made an uh, announcement on the White House lawn previewing a NASA uh, conference, press conference, which was going to announce that the Allen Hills uh, meteorite found in Antarctica uh, contained microfossils uh, which came from Mars. And um, are, are these two episodes of, of trying to find life in the Pilbara region, this apex chert, and uh, the um, the story of the Allen Hills. They're, they mean, total, two totally different stories, but they're kind of similar in a way because you had two groups of researchers pitted against each other, uh, one pretty certain that this was, in fact, life, and the other, no, it's, it's not. Uh, am I making a wrong comparison? No, no, actually, it's a good comparison. I just need to say, I just checked it here, but it was not 96, it was 93. So it was just a bit, a couple of years before the, uh, the Allen Hills. Okay, the, so, the, the, so the Apex uh, chair was not 96, but 93, and Allen Hills yes. three, three years later, that big controversy. And yes. would you say today that, uh, the, that it's pretty well agreed that, that the Allen Hills meteorite uh, does not contain a microfossil. It's some sort of artifact. Well, yes and no, because uh, <laughs> okay. the Allen Hughes is also interesting. And we just had the new paper, which came uh, out uh, in April, about it. Uh, not talking exactly about uh, microfossils, but talking about some uh, organics, nitrogen-based organics that were found also in this meteorite. So when they found the Allen Hughes, uh, there were like uh, three different uh, lines of evidence of life. So one of them was the microfossils, which is the, the image we can see on the internet of structures that look like bacteria, but they were really small. They were like uh, nanometers, like uh, about uh, 100 nanometers, and this is 10 times 
smaller than a regular bacteria cell. So after we discovered that uh, we we have on Earth some nanobacteria, so it could be some nanobacteria. But uh, the consensus now is that that structures were not fossils; they were actually artifacts. And uh, the technique they used to investigate, with, which was electron microscopy, uh, was just showing us a, a surface picture of it. So when we look at in so so high resolution, it's really difficult uh, to differentiate a bacteria from from like just a blob, you know, of carbonaceous material or something like that. So the microfossils, uh, it, there is a consensus that they were artifacts, but there are still other evidences in this in this meteorite that uh, are still consistent for the presence of life. But it's still an open question, actually. And so, how where would you come down? I mean, you personally, as a researcher, uh, kind of putting you on the spot, do you think that uh, Alan Hills has uh, evidence for microfossils? Well, I would say that uh, if if you have to make a a big claim, you need to have really big evidences, you know. But uh, this Alan Hills meteorite was formed 4 billion years ago in Mars. And 4 billion years ago, Mars had really, really conditions similar to, to life, to Earth, sorry. So 4 billion years ago, Mars had conditions which were very similar to Earth in terms of atmosphere, liquid water, uh, magnetic fields. So if life emerged on Earth about 4 billion years ago, why not life was also present in Mars, right? Or even maybe the life on Earth came from Mars at some point, or the life on Mars came from Earth. So we, we have a lot of theories about this. And the conditions were, were really favorable, so I think maybe yeah, we can find traces of life in the Alan Hills meteorite. But uh, I would love to have a piece of it to to to, to put some X-rays and analyze it. But uh, microfossils, for what we we know now, no, I wouldn't say what we saw so far are microfossils. But maybe inside the rocks we could find something else. So this all brings us. Uh, uh, I want to get back, circle back, but before we in our conversation and and let you talk about the your innovative work with the x-ray synchrotron um uh that enabled you to take 3d images without breaking the rock open i mean that's something that's quite unique but uh let's go back to to mars uh and just how difficult it is. i mean what what i'm hearing from you is, is that it's very difficult uh for researchers here on earth under the best laboratory conditions to analyze uh, rocks here on earth and find microfossils. So what chances do you give um, a in situ robotic rover? I'm not saying the Mars uh, 2020 mission, but let's say further out, like 10 years down the road, a sophisticated Mars rover, I'm not saying that the Mars 2020 or the current lab is not sophisticated, but let's say 10 years down the road, uh, down the road, a Mars rover that's going to be really capable of doing some in-situ analysis, maybe preliminary, uh, or maybe able to, you know, make some real differentiation in the samples they take off the red planet, uh, scoop up samples for later retrieval or maybe um, somehow, you know, 
ferrying them back to Earth. Uh, how difficult is it going to be to definitively say this sample contains a microfossil from, you know, the Martian surface? Yeah, the, the search for, for early life on Earth is a really good illustration of how difficult it is to, to say that uh, we have a fossil microbe. So this is really how, it, it really illustrates how hard it should be for a rover to be able to, to, to make such a claim. So the rovers have really the best equipment that we can have on Earth, but they are portable, so they have a lot of limitations compared to what, what we have on Earth. And even having the best equipment on Earth, it's already difficult, you know? So the rover, and I mean, every time we are talking about an early, early life, we need to have multiple lines of evidence. So we need to have several things pointing to the same answer. Otherwise, we cannot, uh, we cannot know. So you cannot have only morphology, you cannot have only chemical composition, you cannot not have only isotopic composition. You need to have several evidences supporting the same thing. And uh, the rovers are going to look for, uh, and also Mars 2020 is going to look for life and, or, or, or even the places that life could be preserved, but they will be limited for sure. And uh, they are just, well, they are going to look for especially chemical evidences of life, but uh, probably they will be just, uh, okay, this is the most potential place that we can find life. Now we need to bring this to Earth. So what I believe is that uh, we cannot uh, have an answer before bringing these rocks to Earth, and especially showing how difficult it already is using the equipment we have on Earth. Uh, for example, this, this new study about the Alan Hughes meteorite, uh, it was only possible to find these organics because of the technological development, uh, because they use the synchrotron. So synchrotrons are machines that are really sensitive uh, and really good for making these studies, but they are particle accelerators, so they are huge, and we cannot take something like this to Mars. So they keep equipment on rovers, even being the best possible, they will have some limitations for this. Tell us about your paper and how you use the synchrotron uh, yeah. to probe inside the gunflint uh, formation uh, rock and find these microfossils without having to destroy the rock. Yeah. So a synchrotron is a particle accelerator. Uh, it's not like uh, the famous LHC that we have in Switzerland, which collide particles. Synchrotrons accelerate electrons, and the objective of this is to generate a light. And uh, this light uh, also comprises X-rays. So synchrotrons can be seen as big uh, uh, machines to produce special type of X-rays. So we are using X-rays for different things. We can use it for a tomography, which is what I did. So it's the same principle of when you go to a hospital, like, uh, you know, you have a coronavirus and you want to see the lungs inside of you, so you go and do a tomography. So it's the same principle. And you can also use x-rays to see the chemical composition of things. You can see the elements present and you can see details of the elements, which is exactly what this work about the, the Alan Hughes did 
uh, two months ago. So X-rays give us, us a range of possibilities and it can penetrate in rocks. And this is great because we can really take a piece of rock and see what is inside of it. Uh, so that's what uh, I did in my work. We used a new type of tomography, which uh, has a, a difficult name. It's called Tychographic X-ray Computed Tomography or Tychography, if you talk only about the, the 2D name of it. So it's a, it's a complicated te uh, name uh, technique, but uh, the idea is that we can have a really high resolution. So we had a resolution of 50 nanometers. So I, I was talking that uh, a, a microfossil is 150 times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. And now I'm talking about a resolution which is uh, 200 times smaller than this. So we had really high resolution to look in detail to these microfossils uh, in a non-destructive way. And we also had some information about the chemical composition. So having these three aspects together made this a, a very powerful approach to, to look for microfossils. So in this work, we had like uh, some uh, well-preserved microfossils that we knew they were really microfossils and some others that were not so well-preserved. And we could compare how these two different uh, types of preservation look like when we look in detail. And we can understand more about uh, the composition, the morphology, but also how they were preserved and how they were altered, you know, mod modified during the billions of years of geological processing. So all this information are really important to understand uh, where we should look for life, uh, how life uh, uh, is modified and how it should look like after the billions of years of geological processing. So that's why it was uh, important to explore this new approach. Uh, and really we claim that this new technique based on synchrotron uh, uh, tomography can help us, for example, to investigate this controversial structure. So we could take these microfossils from uh, Australia and uh, see them in 3D and try to, to help in this question, you know, try to say, okay, actually, when we look in detail, we see that this is not really a fossil. It kind of mimics the, the uh, morphology of, a, of what we would think of as a bacteria. So... That's why we need to have also some chemical composition. So in, ca in the case of the fossil we study, uh, it was supposed to be just uh, iron oxide. Uh, so scientists believe that it has co been completely substituted by iron minerals. But when we looked in detail, we actually saw that they were composed by a mass of organic material, of carbonaceous material. And this is really important when we are looking for fossils. So we expect to have an organic composition. And this organic composition had a, a, a homogeneous uh, morphology. So for example, if you are looking for a, a filament, we expect it to have a homogeneous diameter and not like very, you know, being bigger and smaller and uh, changing in diameter in some regions because this would be an uh, indication against a biology, a biological origin. So we expect it to, to have a consistent shape. So we could see that the organic material was in a consistent shape 
And uh, we could see, for example, from the density of this organic material that it has been cooked, so it was already, we say, ma mature. So it, it, it is consistent with the idea that this organic material was buried and submitted to high temperatures. So with this combined lines of evidence, we can, we can be sure that uh, it was a microfossil and not uh, just a mineral or artifact. So these high temperatures are what uh, help, help create the fossil? Was that correct? Actually not. Usually they destroy. It will depend on how high. So we are talking here about uh, 200 uh, Celsius. I don't know how, because you're talking Fahrenheit in the U.S., but yeah, 200 degrees Celsius. I can... Right. That's uh, that's quite high. Um, yeah, it's That's quite about high. like a like a conventional oven. Uh, anyway, the that, that's uh, that's an apt phrase. Cook. So yeah, it's that, about four hundred uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah. Oh, okay, so that's basically what you you know will cook a, a turkey or something for four hundred. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 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 back <laughs> so back uh, you know or maybe a pie. Who knows? But um, so back to the. The crucial point, uh, it's not just the morphology. It's also you have to have some chemical evidence in tandem, yeah. in, in conjunction with the morphology to be able to say, hey, this, uh, this looks like life or this looks like ancient, yeah. uh, an ancient microfossil. Am I wrong? Is this, is this yeah. correct? Is this what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, we, for example, in the, in the case of Alan Hill, scientists went to the laboratory and showed that they could create the same type of structures just mixing some chemical compounds, you know? So we need to see that the, the chemical is consistent with biology and with nothing else than biology, you know? Because uh, minerals can have really, really amazing shapes that really look like life. We can have... Uh, crazy uh, helicoidal, I don't know how to say it, it's like, a, you know, helicoidal? Like like the shape of a DNA or the shape of a, a cell or a complex thing, a star. All these things can be formed uh, non-biologically. So it's really important that the, we have the chemical composition also sustaining our claim. Okay. So uh, in our remaining time... Uh uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of look at the big picture again. And I guess uh, from what I've heard from you today, um, this is, uh, I, I think people have the idea that finding microbial life is going to be easy. The people who, you know, who, who are not, uh, um, you know, educated in the field the way you are. Um, am I wrong? I mean, because here on Earth, it's easy to get a microscope and we can, you know, take a sample from a river or a stream and and uh, put the sample under any ordinary microscope, microscope and we see life very easily. And, uh, of course, we have larger fossils, uh, evidence for life uh, here, as you were mentioning. But uh, in the search for microfossils, um, extraterrestrial microfossils particularly, uh, it's not. Uh, it really. It really is going to be much, much more challenging than than people think, is it not? I mean, maybe this. What I'm trying to get at is maybe searching for microfossils on Mars may not be 
the best way to look for for ancient life on Mars. I mean, maybe we need to look uh, for chemical imbalances in the atmosphere from you know, ancient times, which would be a telltale smoking gun of life in a way that a microfossil or the debate over a microfossil might not. Uh, does that make sense to you? Well, yeah, but uh, we already have uh, several... Uh, work showing that Mars had really uh, comp uh, chemical composition or atmosphere and conditions for life to be there. We already know that. So we saw that there was water, we saw organic, uh, we saw a lot of uh, different uh, evidence that life could have been present. So we really need to, to find the traces of it now. It can be microfossils, but sometimes there are also other types of structures that can be preserved, which is like uh, biofilm, you know, um, we call it microbial mat, which is when the, the, the organisms are organized in a colony. And this colony, sometimes they, they don't preserve the fossils, like the cells, but they preserve the shape. So we also look for this. For example, uh, there was a researcher uh, from the US he, that some years ago looked to pictures of the Curiosity rover on Mars, and she said, these pictures from Curiosity are showing structures that really look a lot to some uh, rocks we have on Earth, which are actually formed by microorganisms. So maybe these rocks on Mars were also formed by microorganisms. But when we had studied, we had only pictures, so we could not have uh, additional additional information of that, but uh, for example, this is one kind of thing we can look for, like uh, traces of uh, colonies that uh, were living in the in the soil of Mars. So maybe the cell is not there, but uh, it left uh, other things, right. shapes or chemical composition. And, and uh, we have, I assume that uh, we have evidence for such uh, uh, mats, microbial mats here on Earth as well. Yeah, actually, when we are talking about the earliest rocks on Earth, so uh, rocks is more than 2 billion years old, uh, the most common record is really microbial mats. And we say microbial mats or stromatolites, which are when the, the, the microorganisms create a laminated structure, which uh, is growing towards the, the sunlight, you know? So we have a... a colony of bacteria and another that grows in the top and then another that grows in the top. So we have this laminated structure that we call stromatolite. We have uh, uh, extant uh, stromatolite in a few places on Earth, mm -hmm. for example, in Australia, in a place called Shark Bay. Uh, we also have, I think, in Bahamas. So, but in the early Earth, they were really common. So they were widespread. So we have a lot of uh, this type of structures preserved on the early rocks. Okay. And um, just uh, two last things before we let you go. Uh, we truly appreciate your time uh, here on Cosmic Controversy. Uh, we're coming up on 50 minutes, so um, we want to maybe cut it a bit short. But um, what puzzles you most about uh, life, how life arose here on Earth, or when it arose, or how quickly it arose, and what form it arose. Um, have you thought about that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because uh, every time we are finding older and older 
evidences of uh, life on Earth. So, as you said, uh, Earth has like 4.5 billion years, and we have people claiming records of life about 4 billion years. So, wow, it means that uh, once it was possible, life was already emerging. So, this is giving us the impression that uh, life actually can happen really fast once you have the conditions for it, which is exciting if you think about looking for life in other planets, you know. So it might be easier than we previously believed for life to emerge. So I'm still a bit uh, critical about these works, uh, talking about life for more than 4 billion years old, but there are some uh, evidence from 3.4, 3.5 billion years, which are are more strong, and I am more likely believing that those are are really the oldest uh, so far. But uh, well, we keep looking. We have some uh, rocks from Greenland also that might have a lot of things hidden there. But we we need the more sophisticated methods to to find. But yeah, that's uh, my opinion. So life is emerged really quickly, and uh, the more we look for it, the more we are finding new evidences, which is quite exciting. So paint a picture of of what, um, you know, if we were alive and standing on this gunflint formation on one of these hilltops in what is now Ontario, uh, paint a picture of what the scene would have been um, two billion years ago. How different would the landscape be compared to what oh. it is today? Oh, it's, it's a lot different. So two billion years ago... We had a planet which was uh, much, there, there were much more oceans than we have today. The chemical composition was also different. So we are talking from the gunfint of uh, a kind of marine environment, but not so deep water because we had cyanobacteria and the cyanobacteria need the sunlight. So we are talking about shallow water full of uh, microbes in a planet that was completely dominated by microbes. Uh, we, we have uh, this planet that was just oxidized. So we, now we, we have cyanobacteria everywhere. And uh, this might not be the, the, the first type of life on Earth, but now they start to be more and more common. And uh, it's still going to be more or less like this for about 1.5 billion years until we have uh, the, the multicellular organisms. We are talking about a planet which has most of its history being a planet of microorganisms. So microorganisms dominating all type of environments. Well, actually, if we look to the planet today, it's still like this. Microorganisms are everywhere in the most uh, exotic places. But two billion years ago, it was really, we could say, a bit boring if we talk about microscopic life, but really interesting if we talk about uh, microscopic life. And if, um, if we look, uh, look back today, the, the Earth, the, the dichotomy of the ocean, you know, this ocean world dichotomy, which is you know, largely caused by you know, our continental structure, uh, based on plate tectonics uh, and, you know, subduction of carbon, which helps recycle our atmosphere, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
so we were about a 70 70 70% ocean, 30% continent, 30% land. Um so back then would we have been pretty much of an ocean world, is that a shallow ocean world? Is that what you're saying? No, we had all type of uh, of of environments, but uh, where these fossils come from, we know it was shallow water. Shallow water. Exactly because uh, we had uh, cyanobacteria. So if we are talking about uh, deep ocean, we, we, we don't have sunlight. So we have a different type of microorganisms. Still, uh, today we believe that life might have emerged in this deep uh, ocean environment. So we have these places where we find the structures called fumaroles which is like uh, when you have an opening in the in the crust where you have a flux of uh, of very high temperature liquids so you create uh, uh, a very special condition you mean uh, a black some... smoker for instance is that what the, the, a black smoker what? a black smoker yeah black smoker yeah okay. exactly so today we think that this these places might be where life have emerged on earth so deep ocean actually so we, we have found the lost city not so long ago. I think it was in the 2000s, more or less, where we found the, the first uh, evidence of these of this, uh, black smokers in the, in the deep uh, ocean. So we, are, we actually expect the early life to be very different from life from two billion years ago. Actually, the uh, Juan de Fuca Strait, uh, uh, which is off the coast of... Uh... Washington State has uh, black smokers, and uh, they've been the subject of study for several decades as uh, potential areas where life oh. could have first emerged. Yeah, very, yeah, very strange-looking uh, areas, but uh, they're there because that's a very tectonically active area. Yeah, so these are really good places to look for life to see how life uh, can live in these places. Or what is the chemical composition? The the technical name of this is hydrothermal vent. Hydrothermal but vents. We know that, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we have black smokers, white smokers, uh, depending <laughs> okay. on the the color of the of the smoke that uh, looks like a smoke when it comes from the floor. But uh, it's interesting because uh, we have, uh, for example, a hydrothermal vents in the Jupiter's moon of Europa or Enceladus in Saturn. So maybe. We could find life on these places too if uh, we can see life uh, here on Earth. Yeah, hopefully so they we are can very get exciting. Also to look for a flyby that will get us some samples, and you know, uh, it'll, it'll probably have to be uh, certainly probably probably would have to be some sort of in in situ analysis. Uh, I don't think uh, we're going to do a round trip, uh, although I guess that's probably not completely out of the yeah, question. Yeah, it's it's always harder to land in these places. But, uh, for right. example, we know that in Europa, we have some, uh, some uh, vapor that are being expelled uh, from time to time. So we, can, we have uh, some uh, orbiters that are analyzing these things and looking for organics or traces of life. But in the case of Mars, it's, uh, it's closer, it's easier. So we have this mission that is planned to really bring back rocks from Mars in the next decade. It should be in the 2030s. So it's really in our near future plans to bring rocks from Mars. So what, so, uh, so, really... so final question, uh, what, uh, what is your gut feeling about 
life on Mars. Do, did Mars have life, microbial life? Uh, and do you think it might even have extant life now in micro, microbial life? Well, extant life, I think it's harder because uh, the conditions of Mars today is what you say, self-sterilizing. Uh, but uh, four billion years ago, I personally think yes. Yeah, if we had life on Earth and Mars were so similar, why not? And uh, as I said, the more and more we learn, more we see that life can really uh, appears and can be extinct and reappear. So it's really resilient, and it happens uh, quite uh, fast once you have the conditions for it to appear. So I think we, yes, we once had life on Mars, and I hope we can really find traces of it because I am a, and I think we might see it in the next decades, the first uh, records of life in the red planet. Yes. Great. Great. Well, listen, Laura, thank you so much uh, for being so generous with your time. And um, if people want to contact you, uh, do you have a webpage or are you on Twitter or anything like that? Well, I'm on Twitter, but I'm uh, not. Uh, I'm more uh, watching than than really uh, publishing. I usually use like LinkedIn and these professional accounts, but uh, people can also find me by email. My email is Lara dot Maldanis at Univ uh, Grenoble Alps. So it's Univ uh, Trace Grenoble Trace Alps uh, dot fr. So this is my professional contact, but. Uh, Maybe we can let it written somewhere. But yeah, for me, it's a pleasure to be here talking about this. Thank you for the invitation. And I am available for anyone that wants to talk more or discuss a bit of astrobiology, science, or research. Thank well, you, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you so much. And abiento. Uh, Thanks. Ciao. This has been Cosmic Controversy with Bruce Dormany. Please follow Bruce on Facebook, on Twitter at BDormany, or his regular posts on Forbes.com. Until next time, clear skies. Music provided by RFM.